Hello, my name is Miller Pike. I'm a producer and creator located in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and you are once again joining me on AP Studio Files. AP Studio Files. If you're joining us for the first time, please check out season one and season two and our wonderful guests of season three that we've already had on. If you're an old time listener, welcome back. Excited to introduce you to our 2023 lineup. Give us a follow at AP Studio BK on Instagram and TikTok for more updates. Our next apartment party is February 26th. There will be an RSVP list for this out next week. DG Noble is a native of Bedside, Brooklyn, and began his career as a photographer while attending Landmark College. He later received his BFA in photography from Sunny Plattsburgh. In 2022, he turned his photo series 127-749 into a self-published book and hosted a successful gallery opening showing work from the collection printed on metallic. He has photographed everything from street style to fashion week and has honed his vibe for the lonely New York City streets with eerie clarity. His work on a new portrait series should be coming soon, so stay tuned and welcome DG Noble into the studio today. Hey, Miller. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I feel like I got the giggles a little bit. Welcome, man. I'm so happy to have you. I really am happy to be here. Thank you for having me here. Of course. Anytime. I was hoping that you might, after kind of my a little bit more canned intro, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Yes. My name is David. I go by the artist name DG Noble. I am a photographer based in New York City. And like I have a lot of different focuses and interests when it comes to like, you know, my art. Most of the time I'm photographing like street photography, but I also do portraiture and also do a lot of different creative series and set pieces like here and now. David chose the moniker DG Noble a while back when doing research into the meaning of his name. His middle name, Alan, has several meanings. Handsome, harmony, cheerful, stone, little rock, strong as a bear, and noble. I just want to take the audience for a second back to like summer of 2022, which I feel like was a fucking vibe. The um, beginning of 2022 and the end of 2022, very different for me. And I feel like most people I've talked to was like the the year was like kind of two different years for some people, maybe a little bit emotionally, Mm. but summer was a really, it was a really good summer. And uh, you showed for the first time, question mark, your work. It was the second time I ever did a solo gallery show. It was the first time I ever collected and compiled a series into a a book. And like that was a project on its own. And I couldn't have done it without the help of the people involved, like in organizing and helping me get it together. That series, like we've talked about it before, that Mm -hmm. took six years to actually come to a point to actually like feel like it can be presented like I had to be comfortable with it I also had to be in a like feel like the series was strong enough to speak for itself but that last year all the way from uh, I want to say 2021 I want to say somewhere June maybe Mm -hmm. like that's when like everything like was focused and saying okay this is happening I'm ready to show it I want to do this yeah so it was like a whole year of prep work for that whole thing yeah that's awesome though I mean I feel like I you know I obviously talked to a lot of artists and I've had the pleasure of talking to a lot of multimedia and also photographers and I've seen it both ways I've seen people I mean a common friend of ours shout out Avery Savage oh Avery He's he's, he's great because he works 
to a deadline. You give yes. the, you give him a deadline. He's like, oh, three days, perfect. I'm gonna stay up for all three. But like, <laughs> and, yeah, this but sounds like it's, him. It's interesting to hear about an artist who kind of works, I would say, in somewhat the opposite way mm-hmm. of like. I appreciate you being honest, A, about the emotional side of kind of compiling this work because it really showed. Tell me how many pieces were in the original, in the gallery. It was it was about 20 to 30. Okay. And they were all shot from different times, like mm. like different times, different days. Like I was going up and down New York City going to all these different locations that symbolized like and correlated with the quotes and the notes that I had compiled from that time when I was like really figuring out my emotions like dealing with my grandmother's passing and then dealing with like the aftermath of like you know coming to grips with I I don't have them here to speak with and I, I had a close relationship with them yeah me and my mom's mother Vi we we spoke about everything um, oh. Yeah, I say this in no small measure. She was the closest person I, I was with. Like, we like had conversations about anything in the world. She was the person that actually helped push me into being an artist from before I actually said I want to do art, but I'm not sure about it. Yeah. With that absence, like I had to like go through all these different pieces of like trying to figure out how I feel and I didn't know how to express it. Yeah. And or talk about it, especially since the one person that I'm always speaking with is not around anymore. So processing without your processor. Exactly. Yeah. And part of me shut down a little bit. Uh, yeah. I had to, you know, I really did separate from people the world and i was very quiet i was very somber to a point where i just felt like things are just difficult yeah you were kind of losing yourself a little bit a little bit yeah yeah and and what year is this happening in this was 2016 2017 okay after i took a leave from school i came back home i I was dealing with insomnia and these panic attacks Mm -hmm. and even still when i was having an issue processing things like i was speaking making these audio journals oh Um, wow yeah and those are the quotes from the whole series like as you see it i was gonna ask you about that so for the audience, the book has how many pages? It's probably... I think about 80. 80, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And kind of randomly, there are some thoughts kind mm-hmm. of dropped in, in. In your handwriting? In my handwriting, In your handwriting, yes, yes I figured. Yeah. Okay. And there's one quote that says, I would give up every good moment memory I have with you to yeah. spend the worst moment I've had with you. I would give up every good memory I have to spend the worst one I have with you again. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's one of like the heaviest moments that I never thought I would share because this project, I swore would never come to reality at first because mm-hmm. it's so hard to like let people know such a vulnerable moment and especially when you weren't sharing anything about yourself right well number yeah. one i really commend you on doing that because it really showed throughout the work and it was really powerful i mm-hmm. think as the time at which i saw it in 2022 having gone through 2020 2021 yeah and we've talked about this before on the podcast but the grief the collective grief was for me pretty 
present still. I've talked about this with friends and with family and with my therapist. And it's kind of like, I don't really trust people who weren't kind of affected by things. I can understand that. Like, yeah, yeah, it was present during that time. It was Mm -hmm. certainly present for me when I was dealing with my own coming to grips with mortality and like an absence of a presence. Right. It's like when you're in it and you're trying to speak with somebody about it or like what you're feeling. Right. And they're kind of... Not there yet. They're not there yet. It's the issue with sympathy versus empathy. When you empathize with the person, you understand Mm. what's going on in their mind. But when you sympathize with them, there is still a little bit of a distance where you want to be there for the person, but you don't know how to be there. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I feel like from what I saw from your show and then experiencing, I like made myself not look at the book until I got home (laughs) Um, and uh, just sat down with it, which was really nice. Just the loneliness and kind of, I feel like there was like edges of guilt, which was interesting because I feel like there is like a part of guilt when you're still here. Mm -hmm. And that was maybe something that I hadn't like so much touched on when it comes to grief. I thought you captured it really well. I really appreciate you saying that. For the longest time, like I said, I I didn't think that I could share this with anyone yeah i gotta be honest like it wasn't until like a month before that my my own family didn't know what the series was gonna look like wow i had to like but the one thing i told them i told them a year in advance i'm working on making a new art series it's going to be shown i didn't give them a lot of information at that time but i figured as things get closer i need to let them know prepare them for what they're going to hear because mm. they saw what my mind state was during the time when things were happening but they didn't know how I was processing it. Right. They didn't know that I was having these panic attacks so bad that they wake me up at night. Mm. And they certainly didn't know how much I was walking around the city at night to like, you know, try and get a semblance and clear my head. And I'd be out for hours. So you think they might have been a little worried? <laughs> they were they were worried during they were worried during that time, but they right. didn't know how frequent. So I'm glad that they didn't know. <laughs> You're like, they didn't know the extent. <laughs> they, yeah, no, they didn't. Um, it wasn't until I think I gave them like a test copy. Oh, okay. And this had to be maybe a month or two before the show happened. Right. And they sat down with it. And I was like, I'm going to step out of the room. We'll talk about what you guys feel, like, feel right. afterward and what if we need to talk. Mm-hmm. But I need you to prepare that you are going to hear things that you haven't heard before. And I was like saying, oh man, how are they going to react to this? I don't know what's going to, what's going to go through their mind. And honestly, they were very accepting of it. And they finally understood part of me that they hadn't seen before and why I was so distant and what was going on in my head. And we honestly had like a very deep conversation, probably that lasted like a couple of weeks, even after the show happened, but they were happy that I was like expressing like this pain because they saw that I was I was walled off yeah. from the world. I can definitely see that and I know like as someone who probably only in the last couple of years has ever like let anyone else into like those sort of processes. Mm-hmm. It can be scary to be like this is how bad it was. Mm-hmm. I think you you handled it really well in terms of like giving them warning because mm-hmm. it would have been a lot to drop in as a family member to see yeah. how you were dealing with this grief. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit, I know this, but can you tell our audience a little bit about the name of the piece? Right. 127749 represents the house numbers of both my grandmothers. They were certainly staples of places where I felt 
like you know secure and solid and i also mm. wanted to pay like a homage to them in some way without letting people know like exactly what was going on right and i think that's a beautiful way yeah. home is so nice i can't tell you the amount of times that i felt actually safe when i was just like sitting at a kitchen table just like having a conversation in the afternoon like with either of them yeah and actually, it's funny because, like, there's a picture in the book where one of those houses show up. Oh. Yeah. Wait, I didn't even realize. I'll have to go look for it. <laughs> <laughs> Easter yeah. egg. <laughs> yeah. There are, there are all the photographs she actually are from are representations of the time when I was, like, walking around in the city mm-hmm. and places that I ended up going to, whether it was consciously or in one of my hazier moments where I was, like, really, like, like grief stricken grief stricken and turned inward and mm-hmm. wasn't paying attention to anything but i was still as active and coherent enough to like navigate the city as i am right now yeah so that was actually uh, going to be my next question is kind of like how these spaces were chosen and it sounds like they were just where your feet took you kind of thing yeah yeah a lot of that some of the places were a lot of the places that i frequented in my earlier years or during the time where I was actually just walking around and just like, you know, getting my headspace clear. Some of the places represent moments of where my emotions really hit or mm-hmm. where the where I was feeling mm-hmm. and where the audio journal was taking place. Cool. Has audio journaling been something that's come out of this project or something that's always been there? You know what? No, I never did it before I I felt uh, I was going through like the feelings. It just happened one night where I wasn't speaking with anybody, but I felt like I needed to get like, you know, what was in my head, like out and express it in some way. Mm. I just pulled out my phone and I I just started like voice notes. Voice notes. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't think too much of it. But, you know, when I was going to therapy, in the beginning, like I told my therapist, like this is something that I just like did, and then she said, "Well, maybe you need to just keep doing it and yeah. see what ha- what comes out of it." Yeah. And I was like, "Okay." I kept doing it. I thought I was gonna be resigned to again never showing this to anybody. <laughs> this was gonna be <laughs> this. Yeah. This little was, did you know. Yeah, little did I know that uh, it would come up and I would feel in a place comfortable enough to like share and like you know what have a conversation because that's mostly what i want yeah out of to kind of spur a conversation yeah out of any art series that i go forward and Mm -hmm. do i want us to be able to speak on something that it's supposed to entail so taking it back just a second what was the difference what was the difference between you in 2016 2017 to 2021 kind of gaining that comfort gaining that distance from and being willing to take this project Mm. to that place i think there was a not just one but several points where i put myself back into the world like you know what i met so many amazing people that made me feel comfortable like every it's it's never one thing it's like just a few little things that like made me feel as if i can be open Right. Like I can show a little vulnerability and my friend group, Avery Madison, two great yeah. people. I, I, shout out. Yes. Shout out to them. <laughs> um, I couldn't have finished the project without her. I literally remember I was like April of 2022 when mm-hmm. I had that spring party. Yes. And the three of y'all came 
And I remember she was like, it's happening. And you were like, we'll see. And that was still like, <laughs> like six weeks before it was supposed she to happen. She kept me on task. Good. But yeah, like it, it's, she's, it's, she's a rock star. Absolutely. hundred percent. Madison Markham is an independent arts manager and producer working mostly with emerging artists and self-taught artists in interdisciplinary media. She and David met through a mutual friend and collaborator at an exhibition she produced. She connected with the vision for the book and the show. She's studying for her master's in art history at Hunter and working on a series of accessibility-based projects. You can find her on Instagram at madmad.irl. But it's people like that that are in my life hearing some of the things that people like were open enough to talk with me about. It made me feel comfortable and made me feel like stronger than I was to talk about these things or or, or be in a place where I can actually have a conversation in some way. It was a longer journey than I thought it would ever be. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like a lot of people who knew me before during and after know me a little bit better and understand uh, where I was when they met me. I definitely, I identify with that because Mm -hmm. we met in early 2022 and, you know, I didn't know you except that I liked your work and that you were, you know, friends with my friends, which the best way to meet people. Yes. (laughs) Um, And I remember you being like, it's going to be a lot before the show and afterwards I was like fuck (laughs) you weren't joking and also like your family was there and so many kind people were there and everyone was really like invested and enjoying and I hope you sold lots of work and made lots of money and did that whole thing but more than anything I hope you saw the people that were around you that love you and love your work and stuff like that and I guess to, to speak to your work to take it a little broader you got your start in photography mm-hmm. Uh, while you were at Landmark College. Yes. And then later chose that as your BFA study at, at SUNY Plattsburgh. Where were you as a photographer there and in what ways does that differ now? A little bit more confident, like I will say that. Great. Like we, we spoke about this earlier, yeah. I didn't see myself being a photographer when I picked up a camera for the first time. Mm-hmm. I was actually originally going in a focus of geology and paleontology when I went to school. Okay, rock boy. Yes. Yes. Oh man. Oh, too many too many dinosaur jokes are in there, but we are not going oh, to test. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm really like, trying to pull one out right now. I can't oh. Again. <laughs> oh, I would love to hear the best one. Okay, if you could, I'll, I'll you know. keep thinking. All right. keep talking. But you know, I was like mainly focused on it for like a good portion of like my time while I was getting my two-year degree at Landmark. Uh, my college advisor, who was somebody that always watched over me at college, she nice. decided, uh, well, not decided, but <laughs> she suggested that you know, why don't you take photography? Like, it'll be like, like, as, an can, like as an elective. Yeah. And, and then I just picked up a camera and then I was like, this is, I like this. I, yeah. I wonder what else I can do and what I can photograph. And then I just ended up hanging on to a camera. I brought it back to the city. I didn't even know that street photography had a name until <laughs> I was looking on social media and I was saying, okay, street photography, This there, there is a focus for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, that's, and, that's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> The history of street photography goes back to the 1800s, although it wasn't a formalized genre until the mid-20th century. The painters Degas, Manet, and Toulouse-Lautrec painted urban life in Paris. 
They worked alongside photographers and the photos were a tool for the artists rather than their own art form. In the 1850s, French photographer Charles Negras documented people and buildings around Paris using the calotype method, which allowed for a one-minute exposure rather than the 15 to 30-minute exposure of a daguerreotype. Photojournalists and fashion photographers came onto the scene in the 1920s and started using the Leica, which was smaller and lighter to capture street life. The Leica allowed photographers much more mobility and flexibility. They could fade into the background, allowing them to capture action in the moment. But it wasn't until a little before World War II that street photography took a shape as a unique subgenre of documentary photography. Walker Evans, Dorothea Lange, and Bernice Abbott captured people in dire circumstances as well as the modernization and urbanization of America. In the 1940s and 50s, William Klein, Lizette Modell, Helen Levitt, Roy DiCarava, and Robert Frank made careers of photographing American culture. DiCarava was a pioneering black photographer who documented life in Harlem. His style has influenced generations of street photographers who came after. It also helps me focus so much. I have ADHD and mm -hmm. ASD. So having something that like keeps me active, keeps me like engaged and focused it's on a task. Fidget yes. It, it, <laughs> oh. Sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna call it that. I'm gonna call it that. No, no, it's not cheap. It's it's true and I can't unsee that. No, <laughs> like, no. But yeah, like it, it really keeps me engaged. I'm always looking at things from either like, like a focal point of interest right. or like structurally like like engaging. Like, oh, like yeah. yeah. Like studying light and shadow and seeing New York City come into viewfinder like you, you know. What a like, perfect canvas for you too. I mean always, like it's always interesting. It's literally everything. And I don't mm. know if you experience this mm. like because maybe you're looking for this kind of stuff, but I feel like there's so many times where I'll be in my own ass neighborhood and I'll be like, that door is amazing. How have I never looked at that door specifically? Like, or, you know, it's covered in graffiti and there's, you know, stickers all over it and bumper stickers and blah, blah, blah. Oh, 100%. It's slapped up and like, I'm like, that door is, I want to take a whole photo shoot of this door. Yeah, 100%. Like, honestly, the precursor, I would say, to even that was, I would like explore the city when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. Like, like I had this thing where I like get off at a different train stop and then just explore the area and see what would be around. Yeah. And it's weird because like that just like subtle, oh, okay. Interesting. Like just like knowing New York city a little better. It became more of a focus at later on in life. Interesting. And like just going around and seeing like architecture because when I first started I would just shoot like you know the Brooklyn Bridge and yep. like everything the spots. that's yeah the spots yeah yeah you know <laughs> you know little oh quiet neighborhood by the yeah. way lovely <laughs> I have great coffee <laughs> yeah we spend eight bucks <laughs> if you're lucky <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but yeah and then eventually like you know what I, I would say I got my chops and I got like more comfortable photographing everything like I'd get up close to people and like shoot people from a certain angle get this really detailed photograph of like them in a moment mm -hmm. I think one of my favorite ones it's the, always the most random thing that you ever get to see yeah. and one of the things I'd like to do is shoot photos in the rain I or saw the snow there yeah. are some great photos in the rain mm -hmm. in your book yeah yeah like, I would walk around in the rain a lot <laughs> <laughs> I still do <laughs> 
but so you've been loving the last couple of weeks oh yeah as as oh like <laughs> all this weather like i feel like a kid on christmas yeah. oh yeah you're yeah. like oh, yeah the rain yes. everyone's gonna look miserable <laughs> hell yeah i gotta capture it you know, it's funny because the one photo i really love is it's a photo from like maybe i think it was from last year or the year before mm-hmm. it was like a summer rain shower where it was like really gloomy and randomly as i'm walking in lower manhattan it's a guy with a corona box as an umbrella like holding it and he's like trying to keep it over his head like forehead just slightly and he's like smiling over to the side it's beautiful and that captures a lot of emotion and a lot of like a lot of the moment i love everything about i hope i get to see that picture sometime so Taking it way, way back. Yes. Since you brought up growing up, being in the city, Mm -hmm. um, I guess, who were you at that time? And who do you feel like is the photographer? Like, I hear this early kind of predilection to want to see things Mm -hmm. and want to, like, view things and maybe a little voyeuristically. And I mean that in a good way. Like, I think being observant of your surroundings, I like doing that as well. So who do you think was, like, the photographer in you when you were a kid? If that makes sense. Kind of like where it started or where, where you think it might have came from? Where it started or maybe who were you then and how has like photography kind of impacted who you are now? I always hearken it back to the kid that always liked to explore and always liked to like get involved with something. That's the dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they're a, a lively bunch. Oh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> you found a good one. Man. I tried. <laughs> that was a good one. I saw myself up. Oh, man. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was always a need for exploration and a need for getting involved with something like ADHD. I need to like be engaged with whatever I'm doing right? and have a desire to really hone in on it. Mm-hmm. That hyper-focus uh, baby. Yes. Gotta use it. Hyper-focus. And then, like, and then it gets like very like tunnel. And then with like Asperger's, it gets like really tunnel vision. Tunnel vision. Yes. So you're like, whoo. Yes. Oh, when I'm, when I'm task oriented, it's... Good luck just saying, like, I was like, huh? What, what's up? Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. wait, wasn't it 12 o'clock? It's 5 o'clock now? Oh, it's, food? Yeah, what, Don't know about what, it. What, what, yeah, what is that? <laughs> is that French? <laughs> but yeah, I, I would always say, like, it's always that. And the thing that never really left me is, like, the need to always, like, try something different or, like, go into something. No, like, explore something. Yeah. Like, walking around endlessly. Like, mm-hmm. I can trek all the way from Bed-Stuy to Lower Manhattan if I wanted to and not miss a beat or, like, not even have a care in the world. That was me during COVID. Yeah. Yeah, just those long walks mm-hmm. and, like, exploring. I was doing, like, averaging, like, 10 miles a day. It was great. I was in great shape. Was, yeah. <laughs> Weren't we all? like... Yeah doing just just trying to stay sane yeah quarantine um, like really helped with that one yeah 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 we'll take it we'll yeah. take it i love that i feel like that's something i've kind of been trying to refine in myself a little mm-hmm. bit kind of that sort of who are you sort of thing or who were you and what changed kind of thing so i feel like i can definitely very much relate to that in terms of like just a purely technical what do you shoot on i shoot on my sony a7 III currently okay my first digital camera was it's literally going to be my next yeah, question. So that's where was, we're, okay, cool. <laughs> we're here. Yeah, we're, 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 connected. we're connecting. We're connected. <laughs> we're connected. It was a poor camera, but it was like all like like oh, use it. No, no, it was like yeah, it was uh, like a rinky dink like Canon Rebel from like two thousand and three. Hot. And yeah, well, not until you hear that uh, the gears turning. <laughs> um, You're like. 
crank, yeah. crank. And, and then the first real camera that I could actually get my hands on and actually like work with, mm-hmm. like when I decided that I was going to be a photographer and I was pursuing it in school, in school, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a Canon 6D Mark II. Okay. And was that like a game changer? Oh yeah, full frame. Oh yeah, like like, like zoom like zoom lens. Just dropping in the Maserati, yeah. just mm-hmm. like ready to go. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I just needed some sunglasses, <laughs> and I would have and a leather jacket. I would have been the coolest guy out there. <laughs> and and I always loved that camera, and I think that really like taught me the value of investing in yourself because right. like I saved up for like an entire year and a half on a college budget, like oh, trying my to like, God. Get, get that thing. Yeah, that's hard. I feel Mm -hmm. like I've never really had, I guess, a hobby that's like very equipment based Mm -hmm. and that shit. I remember I was I went to Blick with somebody and I was like, "You just dropped how much money? The art shit is expensive." Listen, there was a there were at least two months that I was surviving on dinner with peanut butter <laughs> on peanut butter and Cheerios. I will always remember that. And like trying to budget, like, do I have enough money to eat? No. Okay, so uh, we got that big bag of Cheerios. We got like four packs of uh, peanut butter. Yeah, we, we, we gonna make protein. We, we gonna make it do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember our student housing like had. Uh, always had a big giant thing of peanut butter and bread and like god bless them because that fucking got me through so i guess since we did touch on it a little bit with covid how did that impact your creative lens because i know you were shooting some during covid on yeah. these, like walks mm-hmm. yeah i was walking around a bit but i also wanted to study a little bit more and yeah. like try and grow out of you know, you can do something so constantly, like, it'll just become routine. little fatigue. Yeah. yeah. And you want to kind of break it to, like, you know, just reset, yeah. break the boundary on what you define as you being creative. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I was really doing is, like I said, studying artists that I really enjoy, like, a little bit more in depth, but also looking a little closer, honing in closer onto, like, a subject matter. Yeah. Like, I'd even just photograph what was going on around my house or yeah or my neighbors down the street (laughs) like um you know we're standing in our uh, one yard and they're over there we're having like a long distance conversation that uh, like like from 12 feet away (laughs) yeah (laughs) i love that i feel like it's going to be an interesting year to see in photography because it is just completely different especially like the city yeah was so different it was eerily quiet yeah i mean i never realized quite so much how like there was the protection and numbers mm-hmm. kind of feel and yeah it was weird i can relate with that i'm normally aware of my surroundings yeah. even at night well especially at night yeah. i should say that yeah. right now <laughs> yeah with oh, all yeah. your nighttime wandering. yes yes oh, yeah yeah for hours on end um <laughs> Do you, I mean, I know that that time is personal, uh, especially with kind of, you know, what you were going through. Do you have any like stories or observations from that time that you'd like to talk about? In terms of like really... In terms of maybe things you saw or or experiences you had, or was it more of just like a blur? It's a toss up really. Yeah. Um, Because there were moments where I was clarity and I was like just trying to like, you know, just trying to ease like all the chaos that was going on in my Mm -hmm. own head. And I'd just be walking and focusing. And I was still very early on in me being a photographer that, like, you know, I'm looking at the photos and I'm, like, also being, like, an art critic. And I'm like saying, <laughs> oh, it's not that good. No! Yeah. But I'd also see the city in 
quite a different light that nobody really gets to see. Yeah. And I think that really did end up becoming a main focus as a photographer for me to always like look at things a little differently, but also look at things that people would normally give a second thought to. Mm -hmm. I can definitely see that in your work. I also feel like there's so many, especially of the ones that you picked for the live collection, Mm -hmm. that I was like, this could be the start of a movie shot. There were, I'm thinking specifically of one looking down on a subject with a light being thrown, um, Mm. kind of like with the neon. And then there was another one through a bus stop or through a window to another person in the rain. Oh, I, I think I know which one you're okay, talking about. Okay, I may about. not be describing them perfectly. <laughs> no, but... no, no, no. You know what? The We're talking about work that went on for a while. Yeah. And, like, honestly, I went, like, there were certain shots that I've said, like, the photograph isn't strong enough to correlate with what I'm saying. Right. So sometimes I went back and... Kind of. Well, I was just thinking, I I don't know why both of them kind of like with my little bit of like film background, that's more like how I saw them. I was like, oh, I can see this as like an opening credits or like, you know, slow zoom in. Well, so it was interesting to see that. Well, well, now that you mentioned it, one of the things that I really did get, I would say visually see a lot from an early age was my dad is really into like old classic films oh, like, nice. like um, westerns are his thing and then like i ah. i got into film like in cinema like more neo-noir type oh wow yeah so i would see all those uh, like those detective yeah uh, movies like yeah <laughs> like uh long <laughs> trench coat <laughs> wide brim hats oh yeah the slow like jazz music playing in the background mm-hmm. new york in the rain that's I feel like very of a time. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like I'm always like seeing that whenever I'm going out, like I'm always seeing that like the color version of all those black and white movies in a sense. I can totally see that. Yo, I want to invite you to listen to The Process, a podcast by Empire State Music and Arts. I'm Kerry Blue, and each week we will explore the life of an artist and find out what it was that made them the artist that they've become. Being raised as a woman in Asian culture, like we're told uh, not take too much space. And, you know, if you were to, like, you have to be really worth it. And I'm trying to constantly remind myself I'm worthy. Tackling conversations like... Which is how I felt, because I was like, damn, like, he really looking at me like, and then out of love, like, when are you going to, like, flip this shit and, like, do something real? And definitely not shying away from. And I don't know how to embrace it. And every everything that I embrace um, that is that makes me uncomfortable forces me to acknowledge that I'm getting old and forces me to acknowledge that I'm going to die. Be sure to catch the process Mondays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I have a couple more questions and I guess one of them and something I've kind of been thinking about and also talking with other artists about. So I'm always interested to hear is who are you building yourself to be like as a creative, as an artist, who are you building yourself to be and what are the next steps? I think I'm building myself to be someone who is sharing their voice like on different avenues this project was certainly a personal one right i think but relatable uh, but, as well yeah but relatable as well and actually i was so surprised right after like holding on to it for so long mm-hmm. that, that how relatable it was i think like just like finding my own stance on things i'd like to convey in a way that like we said sparks conversation is a topic that we can talk about 
certainly is like the focus and the best way that I can describe it right now. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like kind of in the same boat, you know, there's a lot of like, okay, I've been focused on mm-hmm. one, you know, you as a photographer have been focused on that as your craft for a while now. Yeah. You know, I, even though I sometimes forget, I have been focused on apartment party and AP now for where, you know, almost five years and that feels really good. And there are next steps that need to happen. And like, I see those on the horizon and I think sparking conversation and having people in the same room is super, super important. Well, I want to thank you for being here. And I also, I want to ask you one more question, which is sort of our thesis question for this season. I started thinking in 2020, about what joy looks like in a community setting going forward. And I asked that question of our first season of audience or first season of audience and first season of guests. And that led to a lot of like need for support. And I am really interested in getting the fucking money in my friend's hands. I want, there's money out there. There's money for artists and I want it in my friend's hands. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel that. And yes. that led me, I sort of veered, and I, I'm going to ask you this. If true governmental and societal shifts could be made to how the world views art and artists, what does that look like for you? Ooh, that's, ooh, that's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> um, Thank you. I appreciate well, that. It's been tough. Sometimes I, I do feel like there are times where the two aren't mutually exclusive. Mm. You mean society and government or you mean which two? Well, I guess three art, society and government. Okay. The two, well, two, three have like a meeting place where they come together. Right. There are certainly so many series that I can think of or images where they've had a a political strength, but also a sense of what a community or how they represent the times. That's one of the things that Mm. um, I love about photography and art as a whole. It's then, right then. Yes, it represents that moment in time from a person's perspective. Right. Photography can capture things in the moment and they can be very powerful. One of my good friends who photographed a lot of the protests like in 2020 Mm -hmm. when they were happening like caught like raw emotion that spoke like very strongly heavily strongly on what the situation was at the time i know when i was out in 2020 on election day i was seeing like and i was capturing the fear in people's eyes the relief the impact of everything that culminated up until that point and also like the moment of like roar and cry out yeah there that was a powerful day that was a really like there was a powerful year yeah like of course there was so much happening and it's very important to talk about those topics and i think art allows us to talk about those topics I think it's just a matter of making sure that we can get these stories and get these emotions spoken on on a larger scale so people can hear these messages and, like I said, convey them in a way that can reach the audience. More accessibility to this kind of story and this sort of conversation. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I feel like you're so right that I feel like I said this sort of jokingly during 2020, but it just kept happening. 
things just kept happening and it felt at the time it felt relentless Mm -hmm. looking back on it and i think seeing some of these snapshots like you're talking about this you know the photography the early parts of covid the protests and kind of everything culminating into the election it really it felt like there were a lot of conversations that were started some are continuing some have not to their own detriment which right is... like honestly like some of those photos that were captured by a group of photographers that i i know mm-hmm. um they could honestly be from yesterday based on like things that are going on oh if you saw you can also find some kind of correlation in the photos that were taken like 50 years ago oh yeah 100%. Um, and i still think uh it's james baldwin speaking of his writings like samuel jackson Harry, uh, i'm not your negro yes that yes. is honestly like that whole era but that the, all those stories could sound like they're coming from today today and i feel like it's very important to talk about these uh, we can't be afraid we have to see the effect from decisions that have been made from in the past still have a hold on us as of now no i think you're right i mean i think that the fact that like some of those the burden of, of the conversations being a little bit more so on our generation and i would like to be able to have this conversation with people that are older than us and i feel like sometimes it's difficult but i think it's it's also very worthwhile when it can be done i agree that i think some of the sentiments are the same yeah unfortunately well thank you so much for being here number one number two please tell the people where they can find you and a little bit about what you have upcoming. Okay. Well, they can find my work on my website, visualsbydg.com. Um, they can also find me on Instagram, d.g.noble. Yeah. And we'll have those linked in our bio. <laughs> yes. And in terms of work that I have coming up, I am working on a portrait series. It's it's a little secret right now. It's okay. still in the works. I know. I was going to like ask, yet. but I figure, I figure you were holding it pretty close. Holding it pretty close until uh, uh, it, I can get the foundation like right. Okay. And then I'm ready to share. Um, and I'm also working on like, a film series. It'll might be, it'll, it'll be a little smaller in scale. Cool. But I want to return back to like how I originally started and like see things. Like try a medium that I started with and see how I use it now. Very cool. Well, I thank you so much for a like just being so vulnerable in your work and also for being here today. No, thank you, Miller. It was a real pleasure. Thank Thank you you. so much. AP Studio Files. AP Studio Files can be found on all streaming platforms. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at AP Studio BK. Follow along to stay tuned for our upcoming apartment party on February 26th. David's also asked us if we could plug his book, which is still available on his website, visualsbydg.com. Please check it out. It's a wonderful piece of work and poetry and photography. AP Studio Files is hosted by Miller Pike with technical production by Artie Kapishki, photography by Tucker W. Mitchell, and research by H. Connolly with music by Fab the Duo.